I invite you today to study with me the greatest question that can challenge the mind of eternity-bound man. That question, namely, is, what must I do to be saved? This question was addressed to Paul and Silas, servants of the Most High God, by a pagan jailer in the city of Philippi. You read about this question three places in the New Testament. In the book of Acts, you may read the second chapter of Acts, the ninth chapter of the book of Acts, as well as the sixteenth chapter of the book of Acts. Our lesson today will be divided into two parts. First part is what is implied in our question, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Which was a question addressed to uh, Paul and Silas by this jailer in the city of Philippi. Then the second part of our lesson, we will be dealing with the scriptural answers to our question, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? We shall begin with the first part of our lesson today, What must I do to be saved? What is implied? First of all, there is implied that there is a difference between the saved and the unsaved. There is a difference between the redeemed and the unredeemed. The Bible knows but two classes of men, the saved and the lost. This difference between the saved and the lost is as great as the difference between life and death, between light and darkness, and between heaven and hell. The Bible speaks of two ways upon which men may build. They may build upon the rock, or they may build upon the sand. The Bible recognizes there are two roads upon which men may travel. They may travel the broad way or the narrow way. Throughout the length of the Bible, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, inspired writers have labored to show that there is a difference between the saved and the lost. Let us read in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 12. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son hath not life. Yes, there is such a thing as being saved, and there is such a thing as being lost. Secondly, there is implied the consciousness or the realization of being lost. When the jailer, we read about the 16th chapter of the book of Acts in verse 30, said to Paul and Silas, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He knew that he was undone and lost in the sight of God. And he needed help along this line. He needed someone to show him the way home. Oftentimes, when people are realizing that they are lost, they are reduced to a state of despondency. Here the Apostle Paul, as we read in Romans, the seventh chapter, verse 24, he said, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. In uh, one part, Paul uh, speaks out the wretchedness of every human soul that is lost. And then there is the light and the joy that Paul felt when he found one who was able to show him the way home. Thus, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Paul voices the passion of every human soul that is lost. 
then the light and the joy that he did experience by finding someone to point the way home. So when people are lost, they're reduced to a feeling of despondency. Have you ever been lost in some phase or time in your life? I remember once when I was deer hunting in California, a group of men wanted to, this old creek Indian to go with them to uh, shoot deer in Modoc County in California. And uh, when we got to Modoc County and to the area where the deer hunting was to take place, a number of the men said to me, said, Now, Joe, said, You've never been to this area before, and uh, you might get lost by going by yourself, so maybe someone should go with you. I said, mm, Whoever heard of an Indian getting lost? So they agreed that I'd go by myself. Sure enough, I found some deer along the way. I saw one herd of deer, and they'd be on the top of the hill. I'd be in the bottom of the hill down in the valley. Then when I'd get to the top of the hill, they would be out of gun range, and they'd be down in another valley. And that went on uh, part of the day. I even came across a man out in the woods, and he looked like he knew where he was. He could go any direction, I'm sure. He, he wasn't lost at all. And I was lost and didn't know I was lost, and that was my problem. So I didn't get a deer. I'd followed him long enough. And then it started to getting dark. And you can just imagine those high, tall trees in Modoc, California. And uh, just the shade uh, from the trees is enough to be dark. And then when darkness did hit, it was dark. Now I got to thinking, I've got to find my way back to camp. How am I going to go? I'll do like any good Indian does. And I go over and I find uh, a tree. And if I can just uh, find the tree with the moss around it, then I'll be all right. And you know those trees in Modoc County played a trick on a creek Indian. There was moss all around it. Well, I went over to another tree. There was moss all around that tree, and I knew Indian was in trouble. So do like any good Indian does, I sound a warning. I shoot three times. Nobody answered. I was that far away from camp. I fire three times again. Nobody answers. Now I'm getting uh, real nervous. I'm thinking, uh, I've heard about the preacher and the bear, and if I'm shoot all my shells, I won't have one left for a bear if I meet him out here in the dark. And uh, I climb through uh, brush and uh, briars, fell down in a, a creek, and uh, I was lost. And if you have ever experienced anything like this, you know what it means to be lost. So about two o'clock in the morning, would you believe that I accidentally stumbled into my own camp? I smelled coffee, and uh, I followed that smell until uh, I actually just fell into my own camp with my own friends. And they said, Aha! I said, Whoever heard of an Indian getting lost? I said, Hmm, Indian wasn't lost. TP is lost. I wasn't going to admit I was lost, but I was good and lost. Sometimes, there are people who wait until disease gets hold of them, and then they're not able to combat it because they were not aware that they were sick in the first place. Sometimes businesses go bankrupt. Businessmen are not aware that their businesses were in precarious positions. And hence it is true today that when people understand that they're lost, 
that my job as a gospel preacher is made easy because I'm able to point them the way home to the Bible, what they need to do to be saved, and someday have heaven as their home. But people will not obey the gospel until they realize that they are lost. Then we see implied in the next place the willingness upon the part of the lost to be saved. When people are in danger physically, when they suffer adversity physically, they're willing for somebody to come and help them and save them from this physical adversity. Well, people who are lost in sin should be willing to come to Jesus and uh, let him save them upon obedience to the terms proposed, set forth in the New Testament. We read about uh, people who were saved in the book of Acts, and they were willing to be saved. Let us look in Acts 2, beginning at verse 37. When they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Here were people who had been guilty of crucifying the Lord Jesus. A sermon was preached that they had done such a thing. Now then, they were pricked with sorrow, and they wanted to know what to do to be saved. They were willing to be saved. Take another case, the case of the eunuch you read about in the 8th chapter of the book of Acts. At verse 36, When they came to certain water, he said, See, here is water. What have hinder me to be baptized? Again, we see a person willing to be saved. We turn another place to find a willingness to be saved, and this is Saul of Tarsus, a man who had received authority from the chief priest in Jerusalem, going to Damascus to persecute Christians. But then when he was struck to the ground by a light shining above the brightness of the sun, and he heard a voice speaking to him in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Who art thou, Lord? I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. And then in verse 6 of the ninth chapter of the book of Acts, Lord, what will you have me to do? It's hard to feed a man who isn't hungry. He has to be hungry in order to have a good appetite and to have appreciation for good food. The manufacturers of food products, they hope by advertising to create an appetite within you for the products that they sell. Then once they have created an appetite within you for the articles they sell, then it becomes an easy job to sell you the products that they manufacture. And you know the same is true with a reference to the gospel of Christ. Show me people who are willing to be saved, who want to be saved, then my job as a gospel preacher is made easy. All I have to do is to tell them the Lord's plan to save the human soul. Also, there is implied, in our lesson, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? The possibility of being saved. When the jailer asked the question to Paul and Silas and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? It would have been foolish for that question to have been asked in the first place had it been impossible for him to be saved. In Matthew, the 11th chapter, in verse 28, Jesus said, Come unto me, all of you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
We all know that the word come is a verb, but it's a verb of action, suggesting that man has the right and the power to come. And hence, we can easily see uh, by the thought that man has the power to come, the right to come, then, of course, God does not withhold saving power from anybody. And the reason the vast majority of people are unsaved today is not because God does not will them to be saved. It is not because God does not want them to be saved. But the problem is, as Jesus put it in John, the fifth chapter, in verse 40, you will not come to me that you might have life. So it isn't that God is withholding saving power. Man doesn't have the right to come, but it's because that man does not will to come or does not choose to come. Then also implied in our lesson is that man has something to do in order to be saved. So many other creeds in the Christendom today would tell you that man has absolutely nothing to do with salvation. Now, this has been paid for by the Lord, and uh, there are no conditions to be met. Man has nothing to do. Well, this isn't what we read about in the Bible. Take those Pentecostians, for example, in the second chapter of the book of Acts. It said, when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? This is Acts 2, verse 37. Then again, Saul of Tarsus knew he had something to do. We hear him say to the Lord in Acts 9, verse 6, Lord, what will you have me to do? Thus we see that uh, people in the early New Testament uh, times, that they realized that they had something to do. They didn't tell the apostles and inspired men what they intended to do to save themselves. They knew that if the Lord had a plan to save them, that that plan would be revealed, and when they obeyed that plan, they would be saved. We're going to turn our lesson now to the second part of our lesson today. Namely, what do the Scriptures say that one must do to be saved? There are three kinds of alien sinners. I realize that some people today ask, where do we get the idea of an alien sinner? Where do we find that in the Bible? A lot of people think that there is no proof for alien sinners. Well, all we need to do is look at Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12. At that time, said Paul, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. What's an alien? Is an alien from the commonwealth. Well, the commonwealth is a government of the people. An alien is someone not a member of that government, not a member of that kingdom. Thus, in Christianity, here is the kingdom of Christ. An alien is one who is not a member of the kingdom of Christ. And there are three kinds of alien sinners. There are the unbelieving sinners, the believing sinners, and the penitent sinners. Let's look at these uh, three classes or these three kinds of alien sinners. First of all, we'll look to our text. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Acts 16 and verse 30. This question addressed to Paul and Silas, servants of the Most High God by a pagan in the city 
of Philippi. And uh, this question then addressed to Paul and Silas, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Verse 31, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and I shall be saved, and thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord, and all that were in his house. Let's look at this for just a moment. They said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and I shall be saved in thy house. Some people put a period here. They go no farther. This is just as far as they go. Well, someone who stops here is either mean or ignorant. No one should be mean when they deal with the holy and sacred scriptures of God. We cannot afford to be ignorant. But the record goes on. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Who is this man to be converted? He's a jailer. He's a pagan. City of Philippi. He didn't know anything about the Lord. He didn't know what to do to be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord. Why did they speak unto him the word of the Lord? Paul tells us in Romans 10, verse 17, So then faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of the Lord. This jailer needed information. How could he believe upon the Lord? He didn't know him, never heard of him. How could he believe? And they spake unto him the word of the Lord. Did he do more? He took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized. He and all of his straight way. And when he brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all of his house. Thus we learn what the jailer did to be saved. He heard the gospel. He believed in Christ. He repented of sins. He took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized. Next, let's look at Acts, the second chapter. Here we find believing sinners, the Jews that had crucified Christ, put him to death. God raised him from the dead. Peter preached to them. His sermon is recorded, along with the other apostles. All did the preaching, but Peter's sermon is recorded, the second chapter of the book of Acts. And then when Peter put the blame upon them, they were pricked in their hearts, said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Well, this shows that they were believers. Already believers, they only needed to repent and be baptized. A lot of people say they can't understand that you have to be baptized for the mission of sins. Well, if the record in Acts 2.38 had said, repent and be baptized for a thousand dollars, you know the Church of Christ, the elders in the Church of Christ in every community, they'd uh, have to be going to the bank every day, borrowing money. Everybody would understand it. They'd come to repent and be baptized for a thousand dollars. Suppose it said, Repent and be baptized for a Cadillac. Well, everybody in Fort Worth and Dallas would understand it, and it appeared to be baptized in order to get a Cadillac. Now, forget the money, forget the Cadillac. Repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. Saul of Tarsus, he was already a believer, already penitent. No need to tell somebody that believes to believe again and repent. He had already done that. Now the Lord told him in Acts, the ninth chapter, to go in the city. It shall be told thee what thou must do. Saul goes into Damascus. Hadn't been told to him yet what he must do. But then in Acts 22:16, the preacher Ananias says, Now why tarest thou? Arise and be baptized. Wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Let me illustrate it this way. Here were people under different conditions and situations of salvation. 
it is like this. Some girl comes to me and she says, Joe, I'd like to get a BA degree. What do I have to do? Well, honey, you have to go to grade school. She goes to grade school and she says, now, Joe, I want my BA degree. What do I have to do? You have to go to high school. Then she goes to high school and she says, Joe, I want my BA degree. What must I do? Well, now my wife will let me call her honey. I'll just have to tell her she has to go to college and do the accredited work, and she'll get a BA degree. Now, the jailer was in the grade school of salvation. He had to believe first, and then he repented and was baptized. The Pentecostians were in high school of salvation. They'd already believed they needed to repent and be baptized. Saul of Tarsus was in the college, so to speak. He'd already believed, he'd already repented, and now he had to be baptized. I thank you.